0: Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmsted, the Director of Local Ministries here at KGNW, and I'm glad that you've joined us today. I have a special guest today. Her name is... Marin Stewart, and uh, Marin is a uh, has a, an incredible story that I know you're going to want to stay tuned for and and hear. And uh, Marin, welcome today to Heart of the City. Thank you. Well, we're you. we're glad to have you here. You, you work for a very, uh, the title of this uh, organization is very interesting, and uh, and so it's the Organization for Prostitution Survivors. Mm-hmm. And so how long have you been uh, working in that organization?
1: Uh, about, it's almost a year now. Almost a yes. year.
0: And you're a, a, an advocate and caseworker for, yep. for, for that organization. And so uh, I'm sure you meet a lot of interesting people and have mm-hmm. a lot of interesting stories that... That are involved with all of that
1: absolutely, yeah, very much so
0: well there's uh, obviously has to be a reason why you chose to be a, a caseworker and an advocate you mm-hmm. know, for for uh, women that are in that situation, and uh, so we'd love to just have you tell your story uh, how did you what what prompted you to get involved with with this organization and and tell us a little bit of background about it
1: well um What prompted me, actually, um, two years ago, at the age of 41, I had a radical, extremely radical transformation. Um, And at the moment of my transformation, God revealed to me not only who I am, that I am his daughter, but what my purpose is, what what his plan is for me. And that every single thing that I've been through in my life uh, was not purposeless it was very much purposeful so um he showed me that he wants me he 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 just immediately saved me out of darkness freed me from bondage and and then turned me and said you're gonna go back into that darkness but with his light and I'm going to shine his light and reach the people um, that I am very familiar with Hmm. back into the lives of of what i lived so from the moment of my transformation on i have been doing this kind of work
0: yeah Mm -hmm. and and we're going to talk later on about that experience and how you got to that point where you found that purposefulness Mm -hmm. from purposelessness right so let's just go back in time and uh and talk about how you got to that point at age 41 Mm-hmm. So um, talk to me about your childhood. What, uh, what was going on, transpiring in your life? Uh, You're from this area? Are you from, from yes. the Seattle area?
1: Yep, I grew up in Washington. I grew up um, actually out north in the Monroe area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am the oldest. I have one sister. Um, my parents, when I was born, they were hippies. So I, I was raised in a very different way than my sister who was, who was just only four years younger. But um, things started right away for me, and it started with, um, with my mom telling me, I used to at the age of like three and four, I would know who's calling when the phone would ring, and I would know how people are feeling right behind their mask. I noticed at a very young age that people wore masks, and that they were, typically feeling something different than they were projecting to the world. And I would ask my mom about that, and she would say, there's, there's no way you can know that. That's impossible. Um, not only is it impossible, but it would be considered false prophesizing, and it's a sin. So at that little, little girl age at three or four, I realized something's wrong with me. Something's not right. I'm not – something's wrong. I just have to take people for kind of how they present themselves – that would be the first thing and then uh my dad um cheated on my mom in front of me and I saw this and we um they resolved it amongst themselves my parents did but it was never resolved with me they never discussed it with me they just kind of dis- you know um figured it out between the two of them how they were going to move beyond it. And they did. They absolutely did. They're still married today. They're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful parents. But as a little girl seeing that Mm -hmm. and not having any resolution or any discussion about it with them, set the stage for some more things.
0: Yeah. How old were you at that time?
1: I think I was five, Mm -hmm. five. And then right around that time, five or six, I was sexually abused by a by a girl in my neighborhood, and I'm not sure how long that lasted. I don't know if that was for a few months or for a year or two, I really, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once that happened, uh, really pretty much that was kind of the start of it, where um, once you're, you're violated in that way um, sexually by someone, it sets the stage for things. And I started to become a magnet for older adult men mm-hmm. making advances at me as a little girl. And this happened throughout my life. Um, so this that began around five or six, uh, and then strange things strange advances from older men when I was seven, eight started I started smoking pot at uh, 10 or 11 um,
0: can I go back for a second mm-hmm. here because I'm, I'm, I'm listening yes. to your story for the first time and I'm trying to figure out like where your parents were at. So your mother, you know, when you had this intuition, which mm-hmm. my immediate reaction is there was uh, like a divine thing with you, uh, not a miracle, but the, right. you had this God-given intuitive n- feeling about mm-hmm. people at a young mm-hmm. age and your mother dismissed that. Was she a, was she a believer? Was she, uh, you know, you said they were hippies. Yes. So what was their lifestyle like, you know? Right. And so
1: my mom, um, what I've realized is it, that's not, people a lot of times don't know what to do with that kind of information when you share that with somebody. So with my mom, she was a believer, but she was not born again yet. She mm. was just a believer and she was very, very fearful, Hmm. And so that to her
0: was some sort of supernatural yes, kind of and a thing. Scary, that, to her. scary. She okay. didn't know what to do with it.
1: Uh huh. And um, you know, it was they were very free spirited. They were so they were around, but they were just very free spirited hippies uh-huh. around yeah. that time. Yeah. yeah. So.
0: Okay, so, so, but your spiritual formation, there wasn't yeah. like a church involvement or anything like that, or it's kind of limited. Yeah, there was not, an ag- acknowledgement of God, but not any kind of relationship. With
1: no, him. I did not have a relationship yet. My mm. mom tells me that I was watching um, a TV show, The 700 Club, and mm-hmm. I asked Jesus into my heart as a little girl, but I don't remember it at all. And, you know, I don't know. Um, but then. So then moving forward, I started smoking pot in 11th or I mean, I'm sorry, when I was 11 Mm. and 10 or 11. And then entering into junior high shortly after that, I started. Well, I'm going to have to back up. That's fine. Okay, so. Fifth grade is when I started becoming very promiscuous. Fifth grade. Fifth grade, yes. Um, Really seeking approval from boys and seeking it s- sexually in some way, shape or form. I at that age is when I started somehow believing that if a boy made sexual adv- advances towards me that that you know he must really like me and I must really be worth something special, I must be really important to him mm. and that began in about uh, fifth grade um, and then I started smoking pot and everything and then, at the age of 12, the really strange thing is I went to a church Bible camp um, for a weekend. And at the end of the weekend, I actually asked Jesus into my heart. And I remember the the feeling that I had. And I remember the, how everything was very bright and just feeling profound love. But I had no idea what to do with that. I was given no direction. I had no understanding of what I had just...
0: done and 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 how Mm -hmm. it was going
1: to change me so when I got back from the camp the very next day I went to hang out with my friends and they this is silly but um, not really they were listening to ACDC and it felt very wrong to me in my spirit and I said um, to my friend I said I don't think we should be listening to this this doesn't feel good to me it doesn't seem right and she said what's wrong with you are you like one of those Christian weirdos now and I thought my gosh I don't I don't want to be a weirdo. No, I, I'm not. I don't know why I thought that. So I, right then and there, turned my back mm. on him. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then um, went started experimenting with a lot more drugs. Um, six, you know, still very, very promiscuous. I had an 18 year old boyfriend when I was 12 or 13. Um,
0: and your parents were okay with that, or they didn't know.
1: I. They weren't okay with it, but I was a very much out-of-control child. Mm. They really couldn't tell me what to do. Mm. I would fight against them in every way that I could. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was just just really out of control. Um, and I don't believe that my, my parents, I don't know if they were born again quite yet, but... So I ended up, um, at the age of 15, I got pregnant, and I did not keep that baby, and by that point, I had been so dissociated because of um, sexual abuse I experienced as a little girl, and I also forgot to mention just being exposed to pornography by a neighbor um, at the age of about seven or eight, um, you know, and all the strange advances from older men, um I even had a man expose himself to me while I was at school one day after school and he was doing things to himself it mm. was just I was a magnet for mm. strange disturbing sexual advances and so by the time that I was 15 and I had this um abortion I was so dissociated um I wasn't affected by it and I told my sister um who was you know, she's four years younger than me. I told her what I did, and she started crying, and it makes me sad now just to think of how I was so dissociated. She said, Maren, that is, that was one of my nieces or nephews. And mm-hmm. I thought, that's really weird that you're so emotional about this. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, it didn't even, didn't even hit me. I just thought that was very strange response for her, or from her. So... Em- emotionally,
0: for mm-hmm. you at that time, obviously there was a deadness, uh, just a, yes. a total deadness within yes. you to experience a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, which uh, for a fifteen-year-old girl, you know, would be would be tough, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, very much. Do you attribute that to 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 the sexual abuse, the drugs, or all of it?
1: I attribute it all. To um yes, to sexual abuse, um, to sexual advances, to the drugs, to the high risk behavior. Um I and I ultimately attribute it all to the enemy, mm-hmm. to what the enemy was trying to do to me throughout my life, by the things that I was choosing, the things that happened to me, um, the things around me. Um, so I see it now exactly for what it was.
0: Um was your was and I you mm-hmm. know, I'll ask it and then you, you you said your parents are great parents how was how was your dad responding to all this I mean as a father uh, of of children I I would see those kinds of behaviors and I'm sure uh, would have a lot of. Um, I, I would want to be proactive with my kids and I would want to mm-hmm. try to do something to stop that behavior if I knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. How how was your dad dealing with all this?
1: He was trying. He tried. I don't think he knew what to do. Mm-hmm. I think I scared them. I was I think that they were just so worried about me and they just didn't they didn't really know what to do. So they tried to the best of their ability to do what they could. Um, they even tried to force me to go to church, and I did not want to go. Mm-hmm. I, I did not want to go at all. It made me very angry. They took me to counseling, um, and it was Christian counselors. and And I had a mohawk at the time, and they the the counselor would put his hands on my sides of my head where it was shaved and pray for me. And I just thought, this is so ridiculous. This is so I. It just made me very angry. They were trying everything that they could, mm-hmm. that they knew
0: mm-hmm.
1: or believed their thought would help me, yeah. and it just it it didn't. I, I was on a mission to self destruct. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing it very well.
0: You're <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. so. 15 years old. You have your 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 first abortion. Mm-hmm. You're still in high school. Yeah. You're still going to school. Doing okay in school.
1: Well. Not liking school, skipping all mm-hmm. the time, um, <clears throat> leaving and getting high, and um, you know skipping school, getting high, coming back, getting in trouble all the time, um, wishing I could drop out of school, but my parents would was making they were making that very difficult for me to do. that's what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't though I completed school, my grades were terrible, I completed school and um, then moved to Seattle. So I grew up in Monroe, and then I moved downtown Seattle. And I had um, my first apartment in Seattle. I, was, I really loved it. I was excited to show my parents that I'm actually a good person. Like, I can do this. I can be a successful individual And because um, they were so worried about me. So I was so excited to prove to them I can do this. So I had a good job and I had this apartment, I had a brand new car and everything. I was just feeling really proud of myself for what I accomplished so far and what I thought I was going to accomplish. But I quickly got a boyfriend who, um, was a very bad, dark, dangerous individual. And I was, you know, 17, I graduated at 17, um, And that turned abusive very, very quickly, and a lot of drugs were involved. Um, And because I was so dissociated, I had no self-worth because I didn't know who I was. I just let people walk all over me all the time. I let this this boyfriend at the time walk all over me, gave him my money, let him drive my car. He had just gotten out of prison. I didn't know that at the time. It was just – it was terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. So I ended up uh, getting pregnant by him and didn't keep that one either. And I didn't keep it because of who I was, but also the person that he was. Um, he was cooking crack in my apartment, and I didn't even know what that was because I was kind of clueless to that. I was so young. It was just very dangerous. And so the day that that I ended up... Um, having that abortion, he broke into my apartment and raped me. And that is the moment everything turned for the worst, like Mm. it took a dark, drastic turn. Things were already really difficult for me, but at that moment, that, that just sent me dark, very, very dark and sent me down. So I went into an extreme depression I lost my job. I got fired from my job because I couldn't go to work. My car got repossessed. um, And I got evicted from my apartment. And nobody knew what had happened to me. And I felt so ashamed. Like I somehow brought this upon myself. I'm a bad girl. Like just how everybody thinks I am. I'm a bad girl. And this is Something's wrong with me. So I didn't tell people what happened to me, and I certainly did not tell my parents. So I was so ashamed, mm-hmm. literally covered in shame with veils of darkness over my eyes and over my heart. And um, My mom and dad found out that I lost my job <clears throat> and my car and some other things, but they didn't know why. They didn't know what happened to me. and Because my mom did not know what to do, and she was so frightened by how I was appearing and living my life, she wrote me a letter. um, And this is, it makes me sad because I, she is so sad about it to this day. But she said, um, we don't know what to do with you. We're scared for you and scared of you. And you're basically disowned. You're disowned. Mm. So uh, when that happened, and that was really hard, like to read it. It took me two times to read it to even get through it because it was so difficult to of read. Of course, and, um, that is when I clearly heard the enemy say to me in an ugly way in my ear, "You, you are a woman, and you've been, you've been promiscuous. You've been having sex. There is that industry. You can, you can get involved in that industry. You can work in that industry, and." Pick yourself up, and nobody will ever know. And um, I thought, okay, I.
0: It was a conscious decision for you. In some yeah, ways,
1: I mean, it, I. It, it, yes, it was a conscious decision, but with but I wasn't consciously present. I mm. wasn't even. I was so dissociated and so broken. And so alone and so desperate to pick myself up. And I just thought, okay, I'll do it for two weeks. And um, I'll do it for two weeks and, and make some money. And, and nobody will ever know what happened to me. And then I can just continue on in life and everything will be okay. And so I went to get a job at a strip club as a waitress. And the manager said, I, you cannot be a waitress. You have to dance. So I thought, all right, so I started dancing, and within um, about a month, maybe a month and a half, I was um, given an opportunity to go to Taiwan and dance over there, and so I thought, okay, well, then I'll make a lot of money, and I can really pick myself up, so I went and ended up working for the mafia over there. having to give them my passport right when I got there, not speaking the language, not knowing anything, not telling anybody where I went, lying to people about where I was. Nobody knew where I was or what I was doing, so I was overseas in Taiwan with nobody knowing what I was doing or no contact information, and um, ended up going a couple times. And second time that I went to Taiwan, um, the, the club kept getting raided and, um, we would have to, you know, run and hide through these different hallways and secret passageways and elevators. And finally we, the club got raided and we actually got caught and I was put in jail over there and had to, um,
0: without a passport,
1: without a passport, without people knowing where I was, without people knowing, you know, what was going on and, my concern, strangely, was how am I going to make sure that the bosses, the mafia bosses that I was working for, how was I going to make sure that I got my money for the time I spent over there? So I was making these under, you know, secret negotiations with them and arranging where, where to put the money and this and that, and ended up having to get the embassy. The American embassy had to um, get me out, and my friend who went with me... Um, and that still wasn't it that still wasn't enough to shake me up wow. or to wake me up um, then I went to Japan after that um, got seriously beaten up really bad mm. it didn't didn't wake me up one of the girls um, on one of the trips was pushed in front of the subway and murdered um, it was just a very very crazy wild time um, and when i got back i still continued working at the club but then at this point i got another job a regular job um as a cover so that people would not know what i was doing and and somehow i convinced myself or believed that if i had a regular job too that would keep me sane it would keep me balanced Mm. um It didn't. It didn't Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. uh, Leading a double life itself, that was a horrible experience. So much shame, so many lies, and so many secrets.
0: I want to stop you here because we're we're going to resume this story on the next program, which I hate to do to listeners because we're right in the middle of this. But I don't want to leave it with just this Mm -hmm. because out of this story comes um, an event that occurred in your life many years later Mm -hmm. where the Lord came and and touched you in a powerful way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to make sure that that we're able to tell that story, that there is hope beyond this story. And if someone's listening today and you have a loved one that's in this type of a situation, I encourage you to listen uh, next week as 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 we finish this story. You can also go to the podcast on KGNW.com, Heart of the City, and listen to this and uh, and be able to, to understand more about what's going on in this lifestyle and this story. So, Maren, thank you for joining me this time. We'll see you next week as we share the rest of the story of God's amazing love in your life.
1: Okay, thank you. You've been
0: listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com.